Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. So hello, everybody. Welcome to this new episode of Eminent Teachnology with uh, Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. We have a, another very special guest today. His name is Dan Cantrell. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I know this is a podcast, but if you could see our screens, uh, Dan looks like he's in like a NASA command and control center. It is uh, very, very cool. <laughs> And uh, we're going to be talking about open source technology today. So, uh, Dan, can you do a little bit and uh, tell uh, our audience who you are and what you do? Yes, hello, and thank you for asking me to join you today. Uh, my name is Dan Cantrell. I work at the Duke University Health System in the Department of Anesthesiology as the IT director. And um, I'm responsible for IT in the department, uh, and we do three primary roles uh, for the department and its support of faculty and staff, uh, devices and software and solving problems. And then we also have a data analyst uh, team and we do a lot of research in our department. We do a lot of data analytics. Um, and then we have a third group that does software development. So when, uh, when we can't get something off the shelf that works the way we need it, we build it ourselves and we just run with it. So uh, very proud of my team, they're, they're really capable and. I'm excited to talk about software and specifically open source software today. That's awesome. Um, can you give us? Uh, can you tell us how you first got involved in uh, open source software? So uh, yeah, the first real, uh, uh, I guess, uh, big use of open source software for me was back in college. So when I was in college, uh, the internet was a little bit uh, haphazard a lot of different competing standards for how to uh, get data around and have uh, equal opportunity for sharing of information. So uh, one of the earliest uh, pieces of software I started using that was open source was actually uh, Linux. And it's probably one of the, the most recognizable uh, pieces of software out there that people might say, oh, I've, I've heard of that. Maybe if you've never used it you know, yourself deliberately, you're using it. I guarantee yeah. you're, you, you are using it. So. Uh, yeah, so back uh, back when I was in college, um, you know, we had a lot of computer labs, but I wanted to be able to connect in and do some of my computer assignments uh, from my, my dorm room. And so having a, a very small, barely capable computer uh, on my desk, uh, I slowly transitioned uh, over to Linux on the desktop, which allowed me to uh, interoperate with the computers that I needed to do my work with. And it was really, uh, it was really interesting and enlightening being in a computer and engineering program to be able to really see every aspect of the tool I was using. And if I had a question, I could just go look at it because I had the foundational knowledge uh, and training in that through my program. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, when I was uh, just getting out of college, uh, my first introduction to open source was I had like no money and could not buy, <laughs> like I could not go out and like upgrade my windows because I was like, I don't have any money. Like I'm working as a receptionist at this company. So let me try this super cheap thing called Linux, which was, it was free, but I think I actually got uh, discs from Best Buy for like, you know, 10 or $15 when it, uh, when, when there were still Best Buys and when they still sold Linux. So it was a really good way to get, uh, to get started. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how a lot of people, uh, you know, at first interact with an open source software is that they just need to get something done and they're not sure what to use. So they go looking for tools and you can find commercial packages that cost hundreds and thousands of dollars. And then you see free and you're like, Ooh, I like free. <laughs> yes. And I, I, you know, I think open source software is, is almost always uh, thought of at the same time as free software. And, you know, it's, it, it is not prohibitive to start using the software in the sense that you can go get it for free, but there are costs about you know, costs related to running the software. So you oh, yeah. can't run Linux unless you have a computer. And yeah. Computers aren't free. They can be really cheap. It's, it's great. You can run Linux on a $10 computer today. Uh, you, had, you have to spend 10 more dollars for a keyboard. Otherwise, <laughs> you're not going to do much interesting stuff. But you know, free software is great, but that's not... The, it, it's one of the big reasons why people go to open source software, but not the biggest reason why they stay. Um, you know, it, and <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons why open source software is harder to run. You know, there's not a company out there pushing marketing materials and you don't have paid uh, technology writers writing lots of documentation. You have mm -hmm. people contributing free time, their own personal time to something that they're very interested in that they, they want to share with people. And so there can be some gaps and some struggles, some, some hurdles to get that technology actually up and running. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why you might want to. Yeah, yeah. Have you had a hard time or an easy time, I guess, uh, convincing business people to use open source software? That was a, a struggle for me for uh, when I was early in my career, when people would say, well, let's just pay for something. We don't want to use that like hobby thing. Like that's just for like, that's just for kids. That's just for people tinkering. And now I feel like we're definitely past that, but uh, it did take a full, like, I would say like a decade of when I was working for it to be considered real. Well, it happened to me a little faster. The first job out of college <clears throat> was at a very traditional software development company that just used commercial products and provided a very uh, enterprise product. Uh, it's called electronic data interchange. And it meant taking data from your database, putting it in a new format, and then putting it back in somebody else's database. Very enterprising. Nobody wants to do that. They have to do it for business to make money. So we only use enterprise tools. And so I had virtually no exposure to open source software and we barely even worked on the internet. They would only do secure transmissions across you know, a CompuServe link. <laughs> so we were commercial end to end, but within a year and a half, I had uh, gotten another job with a chip manufacturer and they had open source software everywhere, uh, starting with internet accessibility. So. The first thing I had to do at that job was rebuild the entire email distribution for the company. And they were all send mail, which was an open source tool that was built as this is the first uh, way we are suggesting everybody send email using this protocol across the internet. This other crazy open protocol we just developed and are hoping will work out. So, <laughs> so it happened very quickly because of just the type of companies I went into. Yeah. Uh, and then I quickly worked uh, at a big software company that was just um, Hotmail Corporation, a large service provider that was a small startup without any, uh, well, some significant funding, but not like a real big enterprise company. So we ran FreeBSD on our, our machines. We ran the Apache web server on our machines. And because it's open source software, we were able to take and that software and customize it for our needs to scale it up 
to handle hundreds of millions of customers. I mean, it's, it's really amazing what you can do. So it all depends on the, the value proposition to the business. And if it's a fit, you don't even have to sell it. You know, yeah. By the second sentence, they're already convinced. They're like, we should do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, free BSD is really cool. So there's a lot of like free open source software. You know, as far as operating systems go, uh, Linux, uh, free BSD. Uh, I really feel like Linux has sort of come out on top of all that. I don't know if the BSD, I guess the BSDs are still in use, but they're not quite as, uh, as prevalent nowadays. Well, so that's a really interesting thing to think about is uh, why is one more popular than other? Is it technically better? Well, actually it has to do mostly with the licensing. So what makes yeah. open source software open source? And it all goes back to the, the rights and limitations around the software that is created because anything somebody writes down is uh, actually their intellectual property and they have a copyright on it. And you don't have to claim copyright, it is just there. So open source software is where somebody who has created something has explicitly stated, I want this to be shared and then it gets messy. So, so there's, uh, I, I would say there's eight prevalent um, copyright sharing strategies that are widely used today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you bring back some of uh, some of your, your lawyer friends there, they can go into excruciating detail what the differences are. But there's there's kind of three main themes in, in open source software. One is do anything you want. So Creative Commons. I wrote this. Anybody can do anything they want with it. So, you know, you could take that software and be like, wow, that's a great idea. I'm going to take all this software and I'm going to start charging people for it. You don't yeah. you don't get any of it. You made it, Dan, but I'm going to go sell it and make money off of your work. And then there's, you know, the type of software uh, agreement that says, I wrote this. I want everybody to be able to use it, but nobody can charge for it. So FreeBSD is in one of those categories where it's difficult to use it in certain commercial endeavors. And therefore, uh, if there's any chance you're going to have that need, you'd switch to Linux because you can just use it and you don't have to think about it. So I think that, uh, ironically, technology, uh, you know, differences actually don't determine the the winner. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those open source licenses do get confusing, and I feel like in oh, a lot of yes. ways they've gotten worse. Like, uh, you know, yep. back in the day, it was do whatever you want with us, but you can't sue us as the license. And then it was yeah. the GPL, which is I think it's do whatever you want, but if you change it and distribute it. You got to send it back. And now there are these licenses. Uh, the thing that annoyed me was, uh, I think it was Elasticsearch or Elastic Company. They've changed their licenses. Mongo to, also. Yes, yes. And Mongo, where they're like, you can use it as long as you're like not making money off of it or not distributing it. And then if you do do that, then you have to switch to this other license. And that license is right. not open source. So then you got to give us money no matter what. And it's just like, when you start hitting any of those, it's like, I feel like we have to talk to a lawyer before we can actually use it right. or we can just use something else. And I tend to fall on the line of let's use something else because specifically with yeah. Elasticsearch now, uh, you know, Amazon uses a lot of Elasticsearch and they yep. don't want to pay that license. So they're forking the open source version and putting in what they want. And it's like, well, you know, maybe now we just use the Amazon version because that has the better open source license and we're not going to worry about getting sued from <laughs> 
Elastic. And that's happened time and time again with Oracle, Java getting trouble with uh, Google trying to, you know, create their own likeness of Java. Uh, the MySQL database famously went through that. Uh, yeah. Uh, not ironically, with Oracle also. So <laughs> you know, it's, yes, we we've seen this time and time again. And uh, I think the most interesting legal case uh, was quite a number of years ago when uh, SEO Linux tried to stop Linux from being distributed. Uh, SEO Unix, I'm sorry, tried to stop Linux by suing them for intellectual property, and that did finally fail. So we we have pretty clear sailing ahead for Linux. But there, there's a lot of complicated issues out there. Yeah, yeah. That uh, uh, that SCO Linux, that lawsuit was crazy because I think they were saying like yeah. we have a right to input and output. <laughs> like yeah. it's our, yeah. we have a copyright on that. And I was like, well, how do you copyright input and output? Like that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But you have You've been doing that a long time. Mind. I think that's yeah. breathing. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I have a question or two. Yeah. So um, each year um, there is a a company called All Things Open, and they put on a technical conference uh, in October. And they bring all of these open source developers together in a big space to talk about open source and the pieces and parts. And one of the interesting uh, uh, events that they had at the 2019 conference was they had the guy who had done a lot of the work on the Marvel movies. And I was really surprised to see open source used as a tool to develop some of the innovation that's used in those movies. Is it becoming more widespread and more available for opportunities like that? Or is it still primarily in the technical space, you know, as in applications to help IT companies and organizations run their IT structure? So it's definitely becoming far, far more, you know, widespread and in many areas. Um, and I, just to list a few, have you ever heard of Wikipedia? I have. So Wikipedia is an open source knowledge repository. So when you start thinking about open source <clears throat> and you start thinking about what, what really uh, is, a, is the determinant that something is open source, it's the licensing of intellectual property. And you can start thinking about, well, there's, there's a lot of things out there that you can really consider open source. So those tools that uh, you know, huge animation studios rely on, uh, I think Blender is one of the most common ones, that's an open source tool. And all of these movie studios, it's in their best interest to have the best possible capabilities available to them. And they have all found a reason to use a common open source platform. And it's, it's better for the entire industry. Uh, but Wikipedia is a great example of you know, the, the tool that runs that website is an open source product, essentially, but all of the data, all of those knowledge pages in Wikipedia are open source. And you can know that because you can go look at their license for the material you're reading. You can use that without paying anybody any money. So you're not buying an encyclopedia. You're actually using an open source knowledge repository. And there are a lot of really interesting, you know, sometimes scary, uh, new types of intellectual property that have open source. One of the most uh, startling ones was being able to use a, uh, I wouldn't say a, a, a home lab, but a, a pseudo home lab to make your own genetic modifications. So that was in the news a little while ago. Uh, unfortunately, it did, did not end well. Yes, it did not end well. Unfortunately, the person did 
did uh, die after oh. after quite a few uh, attempts to to do some you know personal genetic modifications. But it was all open source software. He bought a a lab component that allowed him to make his own genetic modifications in his home. I mean, that's that's science fiction. Who would have thought that 20, 30 years ago when you were a kid? You're like, oh yeah, they do that in the in the superhero books all the time. It usually ends fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the open source is really it's surprising. It's really everywhere around you. Absolutely. And so then the other part of that is is what are the implications for open source with emerging technology? So we've seen so many of the technologies that are coming back, coming out that are proprietary. What is the, the margin for open source? So will it make it to FinTech? Will it make it to biometrics? Will it be in spaces where there is proprietary development of these, these, these tools? And will it be available to all to understand or will it be as continue to be as dense as it is? And I will say my experience with GitHub has been one of those things that kind of just rubs my brain till I just want to go out and scream in the front door. But there are some of them that are so dense and so te technical like Kubernetes. All of these things are not for the weak oh, yeah. at heart. It is oh, for yeah. somebody who is really technically sharp and understands what all these things mean. So will it ever one become a part of the emerging technology space? And then the other part of that is will it become simpler for people without a great deal of technology background to be able to develop and create opportunities? Yeah, so I think that we are seeing a, a rapid expansion of open source into areas that are much more accessible. Uh, Wikipedia is a terrific example of that. Um, you know, you can go and become a moderator of a piece of knowledge that you might have some of the best expertise on the planet. And all you need to be able to do is run a web browser. Uh, and somebody is funding, many people are funding the service that stores and maintains that. So open source doesn't mean it's 100% free. Again, if you're running software, you got to have a computer to run it on and computers take, you know, take money. Blockchain, which you talked about last uh, episode, that is completely open source. It is also decentralized. So there is no single person who is running that. It's running on people's computers. So there's a cost associated with that. There's a very high cost for a blockchain such as Bitcoin to use a lot of electricity to generate its uh, computation. But uh, the underlying technology is completely open source. People can run a simple app on their phone and interact with blockchains such as Bitcoin with virtually no knowledge except uh, simple banking knowledge of how they would interact with their, their credit card or checking account. Uh, so I think that the rapid expansion of these open source initiatives is pervasive in just about every area of our life these days. Yeah, very, very interesting. But but then the other part of my question is, will it become simpler for the everyday person to use? And I'm asking specifically from the space of um, uh, underrepresented communities. So, you know, there are all these code plus encoding schools that are popping up left and right. Will there be something simpler for people to understand how to create an open source tool or resource uh, without having to be a technologist? So people, I think, are already doing that unwittingly because they, they are contributing to large repositories of information, uh, such as, you know, Khan Academy and, and iFixit. You know, if you know how to, if you've been to iFixit, they're starting to branch out into all sorts of areas and they give you 
a set of very simple instructions. You know, write down the steps you're taking, do a little recording or take pictures, and then put them together in a single page and we'll publish it for you. So, uh, you know, I, I had to figure out how to do a particular thing with my generator so I could uh, drain it and winterize it after using it. And, you know, you can go to iFixit and you can find your generator. Somebody spent 15 minutes creating a document, you know, that's open source. And now that's trans, you know, transmitting knowledge to other people. So it's all in the design of the tools to become much more accessible, which is, uh, I think, a very rapidly uh, expanding trend. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like the more the the uh, the software matures as well, it always only gets easier. Like thinking about things like Apache, you know, twenty years ago, like it was not trivial to run an Apache server. You had to know the configuration language. You may have to compile it. You know, you're gonna have to download it from somewhere special. And now running maybe not Apache, but any web server is like, you know, you can download a binary and run it, and it's just going to work and it's going to assume all these hard things that you had to work through before and i feel like kubernetes is getting to that space now like you know kubernetes is moving so fast that five or ten well it didn't exist ten years ago it barely existed five years ago and when it did you had to you know put all the pieces together yourself like you not only had to bake the cake you had to go you know grow the flour and engineer the sugar and all this sort of things and now with cloud providers you can say okay, I want a Kubernetes cluster, click, click, here's my credit card. And now you have a cluster. Uh, You still have to figure out all the pieces to learn to use it, but uh, at least you can get one fairly simple. And that that piece of hardness is done. The remaining piece is the incredible learning curve of learning how to use it. Well, and I think that's just a, that there's a, a very wide spectrum uh, for ease of use across technology. Uh, you say you use Kubernetes as an example. That is one of the most technical open source products you can see out there literally relying on dozens, if not a hundred open source technologies beneath it. But then you look at WordPress, one of the single most popular ways for anybody to publish data to the internet with a few clicks in a browser. I mean, you look at WordPress as the exact other end of the spectrum, and it is, it's amazing how many personal and small business websites can be run on WordPress with just a basic, I can type text in a browser capability. And that's a, amazingly enabling. Yeah. So there's a broad spectrum for a lot of different problems. Yeah. The WordPress thing is scary too, because a lot of, uh, if you don't keep WordPress up to date, which, you know, runs into all the security updates and everything, WordPress is also a big security target because uh, it can do so much uh, when things get out of date, it's very easy for the hackers to get in and start poking things the wrong way. And uh, now you're hosting something you do not want to be hosting. Right. Well, and that brings up, if I can just comment on that in, in particular, that brings up a really good point. Now, one of the benefits, as I said in the beginning, you might go to open source for the freeness, but that's not what keeps people there really long-term. And WordPress is a terrific example. There's a couple other examples, uh, you know, in the, in the <clears throat> knowledge archiving and repository uh, business. If you are using a proprietary tool, say you used Adobe's uh, 
Flash to build your website. That is a commercial product that's now been completely deprecated. And your website would not work, but also in 10, 50 years may not even be viewable from an archive standpoint. So there are technologies that are open source, such as those for uh, encoding an image that are open source for a greater reason, because a hundred years from now, anybody who can write a simple computer program can look at a piece of code and say, okay, this is a data file. And here is the definition of how I decode that data file. This code can't run because we don't use that programming language anymore, but our supercomputers can use new processing language and really be able to understand that data. And so you don't lose information. And that's really one of the greatest benefits of open source is that it can allow data to perpetuate beyond a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really helpful to know. And the other part of that is, I mean, I do think it's a fair trend. You know, I mean, the question are, are there other industries where this will apply? Like, I didn't know Wikipedia was open source, but, you know, there's still so many areas out there that are untapped and still waiting for somebody to figure out the the solution to addressing the issue. And I think, like, when you think about things like the cloud, you know, so it came about, you know, as a way to provide cheaper, more reasonable resources for companies and organizations that couldn't afford to put together these large data centers or whatever, you know, networks or whatever. So that was a, a resource. But in a lot of ways, you know, there are opportunities for, you know, even exploiting further than the cloud because the cloud, like Drew mentioned, you know, there are so many things with security holes in them. And you don't know what you're you're going to experience. And I think the interesting one, and I'm sure you you saw this on the news, the solar winds and the hack and the breach of the United States as a whole. You know, so many resources were tapped. You know, if there is a way that open source can address these things and find, you know, create widgets or create little uh, ticklers that go out there and look for certain things. So if this software hasn't been updated in a while, if this uh, person hasn't updated his or her password or whatever it is, it's just constantly tracking those things to send out information. And I think a lot of companies would benefit from having a resource like that if it can be developed cheaply and if they can, if it can be maintained. Because I guess one of the questions that I do have that that relates to that is what happens when the person who created that code goes away oh boy lots of things can happen the great thing about open source code is that somebody else can take ownership of it uh, and more to the point with open source it allows anybody who has a good idea to try to make a derivative work so if i think that this you know, this application, Firefox, the web browser is open source. If I think that that's a great application, but I can't stand that they use so much red in it because I I don't like red and I want it to be a different color. I can literally go out and I can make my own derivative copy and I can search for red in a text editor and say, replace that with blue everywhere. And done. I now have the Dan Firefox almost web browser and it's mine. I've made a completely derivative work It took some skill. It took some knowledge. I have to know how to maintain that over time. Otherwise, it will quickly become deficient in certain ways. Uh, But there's a lot of tools out there that are coming up. Uh, GitHub, your your favorite, to to chastise. They do automatic uh, security screening for any project that is open source. They are always screening every project to see if any 
dependency or code in that, uh, in that software is known to be currently exploited and they actively notify the maintainer of that software. So they will be notified within hours of a known security compromise for their software. So there's a lot of things that we can do to, to make that burden less, but there's always uh, an additional burden because you don't have a dedicated company being paid, paying people to do that support for you. And that is one of the, you know, one of the things you have to accept with a, a product that you're maintaining yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. I feel like any, any software is going to have bugs and any software is going to have uh, security issues. And with SolarWinds specifically, because they were closed source, like we don't really know, we don't know all of the details behind there. I think people know a lot of the details, but uh mm-hmm. I think back to a few years ago when there was the whole Heartbleed issue where OpenSSL had a security problem and the security problem had been in there for years and it was open source and just no one really noticed it for all these years. And then finally somebody was like, oh, hey, look at this. I can get uh, like every private key on like every piece of open software that relies on OpenSSL, which is everything. Uh, But out of that, I feel like we got a lot more auditing of open source products and a lot deeper look at especially things like OpenSSL, which so many things rely on that it just gave everything a lot more attention that uh, we previously didn't get. So even though it was a real pain, yeah. you know, that day when everyone in the world has to update OpenSSL, I think in the long run, it was a good thing because it was open source. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do think, and, that, uh, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, and there's, and people have found errors in, uh, you know, scientific notebooks that are trying to, you know, identify new galaxies or find solutions for, you know, serious health conditions. And with open source science, people can look back at, uh, you know, what is commonly accepted knowledge in science. Say, oh, look, I found an error and I fixed it. And that happened to, I can't remember which package it was, but there was one scientific study that they just, they had an outdated scientific package when they ran the the computation on this computer and the number came out different and somebody noticed that and said no no you need to correct your your science and we'll go back and reprove this is a valid uh outcome yeah. yeah so in in open space is there if someone were looking to get in that area what would you recommend that they do where would you suggest they start and what what are there certifications or certain things you can acquire as as you participate in education of open source uh the first uh, and best advice is find something you're passionate about so there's a a podcast um the uh, which one is it the open source uh podcast and they just talk about different open source technologies. Find something you're passionate about. They'll talk about, you know, this is some music program, <clears throat> you know, somebody wrote over a weekend because they just wanted something that could do this neat thing that they've always wanted to do. And they were able to do it with, you know, a, a web browser and a sketch application where you just drag components around and you're like, look, I just made, a, you know, a kid's music editor in a weekend. You've got to find something you're passionate about uh, there's a lots of great resources. You know, you find training out there from Code Academy, Khan Academy, YouTube videos. Uh, the All Things Open is a great community when you want to really do this as a profession. You know, get into the All Things Open community because they have a lot of information that can support you in 
you know, actually launching an open source company uh, and, and what are the hurdles with different licensing terms? So if you want to do it as a, a business and really go out there and be serious about it, you know, join a community like All Things Open. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.